We're going to be looking at a message entitled, uh, What Are You Looking For? It's from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. We're going to read that passage, the whole Beatitude passage in a moment as we, as we do every week and we will con- as we continue through this passage. We live in a world where people hunger and thirst for all the wrong things. People hungry, hunger for gourmet food. They thirst for the finest wines at the trendiest restaurants. They, they're engaged in this tireless, hungry search for status, for recognition, for admiration, for money, for success, for sex. But they're never satisfied. There have been a lot of characterization, characterizations applied to our culture over the last few months and years, but two stand out above the rest for me, and that is our self-indulgence and our lack of contentment. Our self-indulgence and our lack of contentment. Phrased another way, we might say, we can never get enough, and we don't really know what we want to begin with. Jesus taught that there is more to life than pleasure-seeking and material prosperity. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you to stand now and read with me through God's Word. But as we do that, from time to time, I want to remind you that we don't just stand now because the pastor says to stand, and we've always stood, and it's a good thing to do. We do it because it's more than a good thing to do. We do it out of reverence for the authority of the Word of God over our lives. This, this book contains the words of God. It's God's Word, but it contains the words of God. And so we recognize its, its efficacy for salvation, its authority over our lives, and, and there are many ways that it blesses us. So we stand truly in honor of God's Word. Jesus begins in verse 2, the, the Beatitudes begin in verse 2 with these words from Matthew. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and now Jesus begins to speak, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, we about have this passage committed to memory. And we're so thankful for this entire message we label the Sermon on the Mount, Father, and for the way it's become so dear to us over the centuries even. We pray, Father, that in its familiarity it would not become cliched for us, but that we'd recognize its authority over our lives and and the guidance that is here, Father, that we might truly live blessed lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So many people in our culture have this huge hole in their heart. And and, and in an attempt to to fill that hole, they'll grab for anything that shows promise. Anything that looks like it might fill that emptiness. 
But what they get is, well, usually they get something like cotton candy. And you know about cotton candy, it looks appealing, it may be pleasing, it smells good, but then you take a bite and it's basically air. It's neither nutritious nor filling, and, and you're really only left wanting more. It's true that many, if not most, people in our culture are giving their lives in this unadulterated pursuit of happiness. And, of course, the Declaration of Independence even lists that as one of our unalienable rights, along with life and, and liberty. But i got to believe that it's doubtful our forefathers had any clue what life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness would look like 247 years later in 2023. As Christians, we believe we know there's absolutely no chance whatsoever that people can find true happiness apart from a right relationship with the Heavenly Father. Amen? You say amen at that point. Amen. Now, an unbeliever might say, I know it's just early, y'all were real early this morning. An unbeliever might say, well, I hear you, preacher, but that depends on how you define happiness. Someone else might say, well, that's good for you, but that's not for me. I'm going to find happiness in, in pursuit of pleasure and, and wealth and achievements, and you fill in the blank. And we get that perspective coming from a lost person. Lost people act like lost people. They think like lost people. They talk like lost people because they're lost. But I suggest to you that the things folks who make statements like that believe will provide them with happiness are not the things that have the potential to make them happy ultimately. Again, as believers, we'd certainly say that apart from God, a person can never find true happiness. So what about you this morning? In your own life, your marriage, your friendships, your job, your work, your spiritual life, are you happy? Are you feeling blessed and joyful? And if not, do you think there's anything that you can do today, in this hour, that will make a difference, that will change things for you? Many have said that another one of the problems we face and is birthed out of those last problems I mentioned in our culture is that we become apathetic in general about a lot of things, most everything. And, and that's led to us being willing to settle for, for mediocrity in our lives, that we've lost our enthusiasm for the things that matter, our passion for, for excellence, that in so many areas there's, there's a willingness to simply settle, to do just enough to get by, of course, that's not a new problem. It's been around for eons to some degree. It can be said of people in general going back to biblical times. And though this should never be true of us, beloved, this attitude, I fear, has crept into the church. We too often have been guilty of, of apathy when it comes to our spiritual lives, of, of less than a passionate pursuit of holiness. Of being, well, of being willing to settle for less in our lives than what God desires for us. And there are a lot of reasons for that. It could be that because we live in a land without a great deal of religious persecution, that that freedom from persecution itself often causes us to take for granted those things which should be held precious and dear. Or it could be that the prosperity we enjoy, the multiplicity of ways... We can entertain ourselves today. The world and all its charms all combine to, to cultivate a casual Christianity. 
One where, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves serving, attending, giving, and sharing only at our convenience with no true sense of belonging to a family. Beloved, this is a family. Say this is a family. We're a family, beloved. And if we're not careful, we'll wind up with this no sense true sense of belonging to a family with all of the responsibilities and commitments and experiences and love and joy and shared grief and, yes, even conflicts. Raise your hand if you've not had a conflict in your family, your biological family. Conflicts are part of the family, both your family and the church family. I believe there's a lot of folks in our culture, and sadly of too many in the church of which this is true, there are many who identify as Christians who are, who are headed in the wrong direction, I fear, or at least guided by the wrong objectives when it comes to searching for happiness and fulfillment. They can't find happiness and fulfillment because the things they are seeking cannot make them happy, ultimately. Only a, a loving relationship with our Father characterized by obedience and righteousness can do that. Blaise Pascal, the great 17th century French mathematician, is credited by many with saying that there's a God-shaped vacuum in every person which only God can fill. You've heard that before. I believe he's right about that. Most of us have heard that. But, but did you know that he's also responsible for what is known as Pascal's wager? You might have come across it in the past and not realized the source it goes like this, if God does not exist, you have nothing to lose by believing in Him, but if He does exist, you'll lose everything by not believing. Jesus said it like this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Could it be that the reason we're not satisfied or fulfilled or are happy or joyful is because we've lost our enthusiasm, our passion, our love, our hunger, our thirst for God. When Jesus used the words hunger and thirst, he was talking about a, a deep longing and a, a deep hunger and a desperate thirst. That Greek word which is translated hunger means to crave intensely, to seek with passion. The word translated thirst refers to those who painfully feel their desire, who eagerly long for that which will refresh them, support them, and strengthen them. Now, few of us can identify with what Jesus was trying to get across because we've never been there. There are probably not many, if any of us, have been hungry to the point of, uh, of starvation or who felt thirst to the point where we were near death from it. Jesus was speaking here about a level of desperation, beloved, which most of us have only read about or seen on television or in movies. When we say, man, I'm starving, we mean it's been three hours since breakfast. But that's not hunger. To provide some perspective, did you know that 821 people around the world suffer from chronic hunger? That's about one in nine people on the planet more than 34 million people in our own country, including 9 million children, are food insecure. If you add those who are literally starving with those who are considered to suffer from what is termed food insecurity, food insecurity means they face uncertainty about where their next meal will come from or what that meal may look like. If you add those who are literally starving with those who are, suffer from food insecurity, we're talking about 
26.4%, that's better than one out of four of the world's population. About two billion people suffer from hunger. Since we began this service, about 300 people somewhere around the world have died of starvation. Experts tell us that every four seconds, someone somewhere dies of hunger. Every day, more than 10,000 children die from hunger and related causes. That's one child every 10 seconds, half of those under the age of, of five. Now, this is piling on. Every year in the United States, 35%, some say 40% of our food is wasted, goes uneaten, is thrown in the trash. Of course, few of us here have ever experienced that kind of starvation. We just have a bunch of numbers we see from time to time or some preacher throws at us and we hear about it and then we go on to our next meal. That includes me, obviously, looking at me. Though I haven't experienced anything remotely like that, I suspect that a starving, severely dehydrated person has only one desire. I've got to believe that a person is driven, that person is driven by one persistent, all-consuming passion. Nothing matters outside of food and water. Nothing else has any attraction for them. So great is their immediate need for food and water. The closest I've come is that dangerous level of dehydration was backpacking into Francis Lake, up in the way up in the Wallawa Mountains. Started at a base camp on the Lostein River, about six thousand feet. Backpacked twelve miles into Francis Lake, over an eight thousand plus foot ridge. Saw these this beautiful majestic scenery. Chief, Chief Joseph Mountain, Sacagawea Peak, Twin Peaks, Matterhorn Peak. We took everything. We backpacked in with horses and mules. We took everything we needed to sustain us. Enough of everything except water. And that's because in our previous trips, in previous days, we, we had always had enough runoff from the snow melt. I mean, it's right there. It's fresh water. You can drink it right, out of the, right, right off the ground. We'd always had enough of that to replenish our, our water supply when it ran out, but, but not this time. And it was dumb, really. About the time we saw our destination come into view, it was two or three miles away, the situation started to get serious. And I'm talking about heat, strokes, extreme dehydration serious there's about 10 of us and then we came to a place where there was a stream flowing with cool water you could see the snow melt a couple of hundred yards up on the side of the hill that water was so cold it was so pure it was so refreshing so wonderfully thirst quenching I had never before and never have since been that thirsty the only thing that mattered to us was water Beloved, is it possible that Jesus is saying to us here that unless and until we come to a place where we have that kind of intense hunger, that kind of desperate, passionate thirst for the righteousness of God, that we will never experience the genuine happiness He desires for us? Beloved, I suggest to you this morning that is exactly what He's saying. The questions for you and for me then are do we really have that kind of burning passion for God? And if we do not, why is that? 
Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, To hunger and thirst after righteousness is nothing but the longing to be positively holy. The person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness is the person who wants to exemplify the Beatitudes in his or her daily life. He or she is a person who wants to show the fruit of the Spirit in his or her every action and in the whole of his or her life and activity. To hunger and thirst means that one's supreme desire in life is to know God and to be in fellowship with Him, to walk with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the light. The person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is the person who longs for that above everything else. And in the end, that is nothing but a longing and desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Beloved, do we hunger along the lines of what I've been talking about this morning? Do we truly hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is righteousness what we desire and crave above all else? Is it a consuming desire? Are we starving for God? Just how great is our desire? If Martin Lord joins us right, if, how great is our desire to be like Jesus? In Isaiah 55, verse 2, God asks, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Church family, God alone can satisfy our longing. And what you and I need to do is come to a place where we thirst and hunger for God above everything else. We, we must desire Him so passionately in, in our lives that that desire then causes us to do something about it. You remember the story of the prodigal son? What did he do when he reached that level of hunger that was so great that he began to savor the husks that he was feeding to the pigs? When he reached that level of hunger, when he was starving like that, he turned toward home and to his father. Beloved, what, what, will, what will it take to bring us to the place where we desperately yearn for the father? Here again is how we see the Beatitudes are linked together, how they build upon one another. You see, once we realized our absolute poverty of spirit, once we truly began to mourn over the sin in our lives, once we realized that we've got to get rid of our concern for self, show true meekness, get rid of our consuming self-centeredness, our desire to protect self and to glorify self, once we begin to be aware of those things in our lives, we begin to desire freedom from the power of sin in our lives. Freedom from the very desire for sin. Because whether we, whether we like to hear it or not, if we're honest about it, when we take a good look at ourselves in, in light of the Word of God, we realize that we not only struggle with sin, but worse, we are forced to come to grips with the fact that on some level, to some degree, we like sin. We want sin. Even though we know it's wrong, there are times when we simply cave in to sin. There's no getting around it. We all struggle with sin. Even the great apostle Paul lamented over his ongoing struggle in his life. He wrote in Romans 7, For I know that nothing 
good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul's struggle with sin was so real, so much so that he cried out, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Church family, the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is one who wants to get rid of that desire for sin, not only outside, but on the inside as well. Something, sin is something that, that pollutes the very essence of our being and, and of our nature and prevents us from the kind of, of intimacy with the Father that He desires to have with us. The Christian who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is the one who desires to be free from all that would inhibit that intimate walk with the Father. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to that place, that place of desperate thirst, that place of consuming hunger, it is then that God can begin to do something amazing, something transformative, truly transformative in our lives. So what about you? Are you there? Have you reached a place in your life where you were you just you just messed things up so badly that you no longer want to be the one that's in charge, but you're ready to let God have his way in your life? Some of you are are there this morning. You're in that place and you're ready. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now right at this moment and you know what you need to do some of you are fighting it you're holding back you've been doing that for a long time and, and you know that what I'm saying is true it's right on target for your life but, you, but you're resisting for any number of reasons and there are a lot of things that can get in the way we can get hung up by a misguided understanding of our own self-sufficiency, for one. Folks, there are, there, are, there are people who believe they don't need anything or anyone beside themselves to be happy. And, and they believe that. They believe that right up to the moment when they find themselves all alone, face-to-face -face with the reality of who they've become, utterly and painfully aware of all of the joys and loves and griefs they've missed out on life. Don't make that mistake. Don't trust in your own self-sufficiency. It will, it will always leave you wanting in the end. Other folks are, are, are struck by the blindness of their spiritual condition. They believe that somehow in their heart of hearts, they're going to make it because they are good enough, they have done enough, they have given enough, they have cared enough, so they go merrily on their way without ever getting what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. They just do not grasp the clear and certain truth that just as He is the crucified Lord and the risen Lord, He is the judge who's standing at the door. That, that we are truly sinful people desperately in need of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world and that we are hopeless and headed for an eternity in hell 
apart from Christ. But we must not be misled into believing that we can somehow be good enough to make it on our own, that we don't have a sin problem with which we cannot deal ourselves, a sin problem that we can erase if we just do enough good stuff. That mindset will keep us from God, beloved. And then there are those whose hearts are not hungry because tragically their hearts are dangerously hardened. They have so long allowed sin to control their lives. They've so long turned a deaf ear to His calling that their hearts have grown cold and hard and dangerously so. Jesus spoke to these people in Matthew 13. He said, For their hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Nothing can keep you from God more completely than a hard heart. And if it's not dealt with, it is always fatal. What's the remedy for a hard heart? First and foremost, we must come to the place where we admit that we've got a problem. Come, come to the place where we are able to, to recognize and acknowledge the effect of this disease of a hard heart has had on us. And God will help us with that. God doesn't leave us alone. He'll help us see our heart's condition when we ask Him. The psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God can heal any heart once we recognize our waywardness and repent of our sins. But remember now, genuine repentance is more than simply a stubborn sense of steadfast resolve. True repentance reveals itself in a genuinely transformed life. And then repenting of sin, after repenting of sin, a hard heart will begin to mend, and then it will be restored to vitality through the study of God's Word. How can a young man keep his way pure, the psalmist asks? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Beloved, the Bible is our standard for living. All Scripture, say all Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If we are to live life to the fullest as God intended, if we're to know true happiness, true joy, and fulfillment, we must study and obey God's Word which not only keeps a hard heart soft and pure, preventing that hardness, but as we obey it, James tells us, as we obey it, allows us to be blessed in whatever we do. It's certainly sad to see people who do not know God refusing to listen to the gospel message that alone can bring that happiness for which they're so desperately searching. But may we never cease to be amazed at the Christians 
folks who identify themselves as Christians, who've tasted the goodness and grace of God, the beauty and blessing of being in right relationship with the Father, do what amounts to the same thing by being hearers only and not doers of the Word. When you and I have experienced His love and His power firsthand through the merciful forgiveness of sins, when you and I have experienced the strength He so readily provides for us each and every day, when you and I have understood the freedom that He so freely offers, how can we not live a life marked by passion for God? Moses knew the Lord. We read in Exodus 33, 11, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. But Moses, beloved, we want that, we would love to have that experience, wouldn't we? Face to face. But Moses wanted more. He says in, in, in Exodus 33, 13, If I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, that I may know you, that is, understand you, more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Consider that this nation is your people. Moses had a hunger for God, spoke to him face to face, but he had a hunger for God, for righteousness. He acknowledged that he knew God's ways, but he cried out, let me know your ways more. Paul uttered a similar cry in Philippians 3.10 when he said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Moses and, and, and Paul both desired above all else to know God more intimately than they already did. And they already knew Him so well, but they wanted more. They were desperate. They were passionate to know the Father more. More intimately, more personally, more powerfully. One of the great blessings of being a Christian is that we are one and the same time hungering and thirsting and yet filled. The more we are filled, the more we hunger and thirst. The verbs used in this verse, chapter 5, verse 6, are present active participles. So we can read that in effect, blessed are those who hunger and go on hungering, and those who thirst and go on thirsting, for they will be filled. That, that's the blessedness of the Christian life. We're, we're being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory until the day He returns or, or the day we die and leave this earth to be with Him forever. We've received His grace and we go on receiving His grace, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and on and on and on and on. Perfect, yet not perfect, hungering and thirsting, yet filled and satisfied and still longing for more. Never having enough because God is so glorious and so amazing, fully satisfied by Him, yet overwhelmed by a supreme desire to, to know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sufferings becoming like Him in His death. Moses was so intent on remaining in God's favor and presence that he said to God in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Moses knew the source of his strength. 
Now listen to David in Psalm 63. For God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips shall praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Church family, this is the kind of passion we're talking about this morning. The kind of passion we need to have in our relationship with our Father. The kind of passion we need for righteousness. In Revelation chapter 3, God speaks to the church in Ephesus and He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not... I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Beloved, what we see in this passage regarding the church in Ephesus can also be true of any church today. It can also be true of our church. For we see in that passage that it is entirely possible to be a hard worker for the kingdom to be totally and staunchly opposed to evil, to hold fast to the great doctrinal truths of our faith even when so many voices out there are watering them down or outright turning away from those truths, even, even to endure enormous suffering for Christ without complaint or collapse and still, and still have your love for Christ grow cold. Michael W. Smith sings one of my favorite songs. It's been a while for, around for a while. I bet you know it. I'm going to spare you singing it to you, but I'll read the lyrics. He says, This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my daily breath. This is my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me. And I, I'm desperate for you. And I, I'm lost without you. Beloved, are you and I truly, passionately, desperately, hungry and thirsty for God 
If we really want to be satisfied, we must hunger and thirst for Him. We we must desire Him with all of our heart, nothing held back. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In Jeremiah we read, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we desire and pray for you to give us a renewed and vibrant passion for you. We pray that you would light the fire of our first love and cause our hearts to be hungry and thirsty for your righteousness. Father, create within us such a deep spiritual desire for you that we will not be satisfied by anything less but we'll continually lean into you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.